Hello and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting. You can find all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan, Michigan.20. You guys probably know by now how to get there. Anyway, uh, check out all of our stories there. But this is our audio opportunity to, to bring you maybe some more discussion points, bring you more opinion. Good good time, usually a good listen. Uh, I think we're episode 22 or 23, uh, whatever we're at, we've very much enjoyed the audience that we've gotten all football season and now we kind of shift toward the off-season stuff once again uh, hopefully you stick with us though because I think we're going to have lots of news I mean everyone knows Michigan football uh, there's never a dull day in in that world and obviously basketball and hockey and recruiting coverage uh, is really cranked up to the max here at uh, the Michigan Insider and 24-7 sports as good as you'll get anywhere um Anyway, for this podcast, we're going to wrap up the football season. We're going to talk uh, awards. We're going to give out awards for, for the Michigan team throughout the year and what we saw. We're going to give out position grades at each group, uh, including looking at what went well, what didn't go well, and what's next. Uh, but before we get there, I've got a couple news things. First, obviously, a lot of coaching hires. I think there have been 10 new coaching hires in the power five. So out of the 65 teams, 10 of them already have new coaches. And I don't know that it's totally done yet. I know Oregon still has stuff. I know some teams still have the bowl game and and some other opportunities to figure out what they want to do. And then we're also going to talk a little bit of the Ole Miss situation. Uh, If you have not heard, there are a few players that are considering coming to Michigan. They're going to visit this weekend. So we'll get Steve's insight on that. Uh, But first let's do the coaching. And Steve, this was, uh, I think you wanted to do this one. We'll grade each coaching hire uh, that, that has happened so far on a, on a letter grade. Uh, let's say B minus, C plus is average. Anything worse is worse and better is better. And we'll start with the fun one. Tennessee hiring Alabama defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt uh, was also the defensive coordinator uh, for Florida State when they won a national title. He won a national title with Alabama uh, last season, he also won two more with Alabama before uh, as a defensive secondary coach. I think he's he was a coordinator at Georgia, too. Uh, he was in the uh, what are the MTV's two-a-days with Hoover High uh, way back in the day. And honestly, I think this is a an A-minus hire. I think I got to take them down a third of a letter grade because they really probably, if they had started out on the same page, athletic director, fans, and everybody... Uh, they probably could have gotten an even better coach. But honestly, I think this guy was due to be picked up by someone in the Power Five, and uh, I, I'd give it an A-. minus. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I think I'm in the B-plus, A- minus range. Um, I'm not that down on the fact he doesn't have head coaching experience. It hasn't really hurt Lincoln Riley, Kirby Smart, and some other guys who are having a lot of success. Um, he's an excellent recruiter. He's very good at I guess playing the recruiting game, I don't really know how else to put it. Just kind of doing those. Like, I remember a few years ago, there was a, he went to church with like the mother of like a top recruit after the contact period. It's like just that, like, way over the top, making it look like you really care type stuff, um, you know, to help and, reel in. And possibly guy. really caring. Is that? Well, I, you okay. Know, I know, these, I know. These guys will go, you know what I mean? They'll go yeah. above and beyond it, it you know. He ain't going to church with a three stars mom. So, um, you know, but that what I'm I don't mean really even mean that negatively. I'm just saying this guy is a, a dogged recruiter. 
He's super familiar with the SEC too, uh, which I think is pretty important, uh, you know, in the context of the hiring. So I like it for the most part. Again, Tennessee still think their fans are, you know, I get, I wouldn't have wanted Greg Schiano either. Still think the reasoning behind their whole thing was a bunch of BS. But um, yeah, none but of they, the I, for for what it's worth, none of those hires would have gotten any fan base juiced up. Maybe Brome, but like with the timing and the weirdness of it all. I agree. No, I think, and I, but I think overall, I think Tennessee did uh, pretty. I think they did a pretty good job. I'd be sad if I was a Tennessee fan. I'd, I'd feel like there's a real chance for the future to be bright there. So I like that. I thought that hire was pretty solid. Next on our list, this list isn't in, in any particular order, but uh, UCLA got Chip Kelly. I I give that an A. I think he was the the best coaching candidate. I mean, he's won at the college level. He didn't necessarily win at the NFL level, but he also like it wasn't out of it was almost because he was too eccentric. It was kind of like Harbaugh where it's like uh, people kind of got tired of his shtick and and people didn't necessarily want to give him the ability to do whatever he wants. And that's why I don't think Harbaugh is going to the NFL unless things sour at Michigan because he can be his own GM. He can be the owner. He can decide, you know, if he wants to take a trip to Paris with the team, he can do that. And I think Chip Kelly is a I don't know. I don't know if UCLA is going to roll everything out for him in the same way, like an Oregon or a Florida State or or whatever would have. But I assume he wouldn't have taken it over Florida uh, if he if he did not feel like he could get that kind of support. And I think the Pac-12 is the perfect place for his style of play. He's going to get recruits on recruits more than he did at Oregon at UCLA. Uh, it's just a matter of if he's going to be able to recapture what he had before now that more people have caught up to him. What do you think? I gave it an A. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it was a natural fit. Uh, I agree with you. I think the fact that he took it over the Florida job is a a pretty important point. I think it's a sign that at least he was convinced that UCLA is committed to being serious about about this, So, uh, which is important. You know, SC's had a good run under Clay Helton, obviously, uh, but I still think the Pac-12 is one of those conferences that's kind of there for the taking if with the mm-hmm. right guy at the right yeah. job. So, Chris Peterson, um, yeah. You know, I mean, Washington, you know, is pretty is looking pretty solid, too. I think they got a really bright future there. Uh, but outside of that, I, I almost kind of feel like SC's sort of been the beneficiary of sort of a weak conference for the last couple of seasons. You know, they're just a lot more talented than everybody else. So uh, I think Kelly's the kind of guy. Well, he comes in, he's the biggest college coaching name in LA now. I mean, he's got a bigger, better track record than Clay Helton does. So mm-hmm. uh, interested to see how he recruits at some of the big pipeline schools in LA. I mean, I always harp on it all the time when like, I, I never, I was never really big on Tennessee and T Martin because everyone thinks that T Martin was like this uber awesome recruiter when he's the primary recruiter for SC at LB Poly, Sarah Bosco, all these schools that, like I've, I said this probably a thousand times. Anyone that's followed, but yep. <laughs> like Zach, you, you and I, you and I could recruit those three, those five, six power programs in LA. We could recruit those kids. Yeah, to play for USC. yeah get excited um, to play for me. <laughs> right. Well, it wouldn't take. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't take any. You know, it wouldn't take much effort to get those kids to play for USC. So I'm interested to see if Chip Kelly can kind of shift the balance there a little bit, or at least break up the balance. Uh, the current or the, at least the current outlook, you know, where all these kids end up at USC. So, um, but an A. The only thing I, you know, I'm not big on Kelly is I, I feel like he's already a couple of his defensive hires have been guys that he had at Oregon, which, yeah, I mean, that was kind of his one Achilles heel uh, at Oregon was that yeah. they were never really an elite defense. So, 
Um, well, you know, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, my yeah. my question is like, because Oregon, I I almost feel like they snuck up on people, and all of a sudden they had this like like UCLA. Like if they start doing well, they're gonna get praise and loved right away, and like no one no one's ever gonna take UCLA lightly with Chip Kelly there. And so, but at the same time, all he needs is like one nine and three season, which is, as you said, pretty doable in the Pac-12. Uh, and suddenly he'll he'll have a top ten recruiting class, and maybe they keep right. doing it again. So uh, anyway, moving on to Florida, they did not get Chip Kelly, but they got Dan Mullen from Mississippi State. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator during a lot of those Urban Meyer years, I think for both national title runs. And I, I mean. I, you know, I've heard some people say it's not that great of a hire. I think this is a dynamite hire because it's it's a former coordinator. He does the one thing that Florida's been lacking, which is offense. I don't know how uh, exactly McIlwain could not put that together in three years. Um, I know, I know, <laughs> Michigan hasn't been able to do it either. But uh, it seems seemed like with all the recruits that he had, it would have been easier to accomplish. And but Matt, but Mullen solves that, and it seems like he is knows how to put together an entire football team. I mean, their defense was pretty good at Mississippi State. They recruited much better, as you noted, I think last week, much better than anybody at Mississippi State ever recruits. Um, so I'd say, I mean, you know, Chip Kelly's probably your A. Urban Meyer's your A. I I'd say Florida probably gets a, a B plus from me. I think. Dan Mullen's job at Mississippi State was one of the, as as far as consistently succeeding has kind of been one of the better coaching jobs in college football because it's not easy to win there. Um, especially you know Ole Miss had a good run there for a few years. Uh, Starkville, not really a place that I would ever want to live, and I think a lot of other people would never want to live. Right. So sorry again. I think that's the third second time I've crapped on Starkville on the podcast but we again, haven't had a listener a, from there so I think we're yeah, okay <laughs> thank you. good I just it's just not a it's not it's not an easy college town to sell at least especially you compare it to all the other great college towns yeah in the SEC, so yeah um so you know he has experience at Florida again a lot like Pruitt but just at a I think at a higher level uh has a ton of experience in the SEC he knows how the conference works uh, he's great. He's been excellent at developing the quarterback position, which is something I know Florida fans uh, have had to put up with a long stretch of inability at the quarterback position. So um, I think he's I think he's one of the two or three best hires this offseason. I think Florida did a really good job. I think it was a pretty cut and dry that he would be the best fit there. Uh, they went out, got him. No drama. No you know nothing. So um, I. I'm at it. I probably had an A minus more than a B plus. So okay. Pruitt B plus and uh, A for Chip Kelly, A minus for Dan Mullen. Okay. And then another school that did it without drama, uh, actually impressively so. I mean, I think they had a coach within 24 hours. Uh, was Mississippi State getting Penn State offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead? I think everyone who covers the Big Ten knows what Joe Moorhead can do. One thing I would be concerned about is he's not that much of a celebrity type, you know, not to say that you have to hire celebrities, but you know, as you mentioned, if you're recruiting people to Starkville, you almost want, you're almost selling yourself as the coach. You're almost saying like, Hey, look what I can do. I can create a Dak Prescott. I can create a, create a, um, uh, you know, a Tim Tebow. I can create this and that. And then, but I don't know if Joe Moorhead, cause he's kind of like Don Brown. He's really a paid his dues out East, you know, 
quietly built this amazing schematic system kind of guy. And I mean, he'll be able to put his hang his hat on Saquon Barkley and and uh, maybe Mike Jasicki and Deshaun Hamilton. But I don't know how much he how much credibility he's built that will stick at Mississippi State as opposed to just taking Penn State's pretty talented system and or pretty talented team and turning it into a great system. Uh, but I, I still, I think Mississippi State, they got a great hire that people really liked. I think they can get excited about it, more cowbell. And then also, they did it very quickly. You know, and with signing day, I think there is a lot of value in timing and being crisp and being really fluid as a, as a program and saying, yep, on to the next coach. He's very good. We like him for this reason and this reason, and we'll move on from there. So I'll pro- I probably probably a minus because I also don't know how much better they could have gotten at Mississippi State. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm right with you again. I mean, I mean, we probably just I, I think I like most of these hires this off season, but um, I love this hire like big time for a few reasons. The one thing that really stood out to me immediately was that they're not paying Morehead a ton of money, and he wanted a larger pool set aside to hire the best group of assistants that he could. That's kind of one reason I'm kind of hoping this works, even though I really don't really care that much about Mississippi State, is because that's kind of a breath of fresh air in today's college football to see a guy, you know, yeah, you'd get a large assistant pool of money if you were at, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, that type of thing. But at a smaller school like Mississippi State where they're not forking out a ton of cash for their coach, to see him kind of take a more modest amount to try to get a better group of assistants around him is I think pretty cool, uh, you know, and there were the, the reports that he called Don Brown right away. That to me says he knows what he's doing. He's going to try to find the best. Yeah. He went coach. Mississippi state tried to poach yeah. Michigan's defensive coordinator, like a really established and really high paid defensive coordinator. So I don't think they would have done that unless they thought they could match or exceed that. Uh, what, what Something Michigan close. pays him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So to me, that says that, you know, and that was one thing, just that tidbit alone to me, to me said that Moorhead is not the, he's the kind of guy he's smart enough to know. I just want to hire the best defensive coordinator and best defensive coach as possible. I don't want to implement some kind of assist, you know, cause he's an offensive guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I kind of go back to the Chip Kelly thing where Chip Kelly's kind of hiring some of the same guys that he worked with at Oregon. Uh, you know, I think that the move or the attempt with Don Brown says to me, I know there's a connection there, but still uh, says to me that, that Moorhead's driven to hire the best staff possible. So um, I love the hire, again, within the context. Yeah, Mississippi State was never going to get, like, a huge, huge name. Uh, I think they did a heck of a job. Uh, you know, no dra- like kind of like the Florida one, no drama, nothing. So they obviously they had a guy in mind. Uh, you have to imagine he was one of the one or two first, you know, guys that they gave a ring to on the phone. So, um, yeah, I thought it was another good hire. I got to go with an A-. minus. Yeah, and one a couple things about Moorhead. First of all, I was wrong. I thought he was a lot older than he was. He's only forty four, so uh, plenty of time for him to establish himself. The other thing, though, uh, Penn State, like his only D one jobs were a grad assistant at Pitt, uh, quarterback coach at UConn, where he met Don Brown, and then offensive coordinator at Penn State. Like that's that you know nothing has ever been in the South. Most of his work has been at the mid major or even lower levels. Um, so it might, I wonder how long Mississippi state is willing to wait. Now, Dan Mullen made the program a lot more attractive than it, than it was when he got there, but I wonder how long 
uh, Mississippi State fans are willing to wait for someone from the north who hasn't been in high major football to to kind of acclimate to the to the recruiting eccentricities. Uh, moving down the list, though, uh, Nebraska. This one, <laughs> it's almost comical because everyone called it way back in like what week two. They're like, "Yep, Riley's gone. Scott Frost will take over." Uh, it was even more of a done deal sort of, you know, wait for it to happen kind of thing than than Jim Harbaugh to Michigan was. Uh, very similar. Star quarterback returns home, uh, except he's even younger. He might. This is like almost if Michigan got Harbaugh instead of um, instead of Brady Hoke. You know, it's like he was doing well at Stanford and they got him then. You know, you know he's very young. He's very energetic. He's a hot name. I think a lot of the Florida schools would have picked him up in a heartbeat if he'd been available. Uh, and so, so I, I mean, I think it's an A. I don't think they wanted anybody else. I think it'll it'll reunite the fan base, get the boosters back, and I think that's something that is really valuable. I mean, because suddenly, you know, he's he has having full program support can make a team so much better. Uh, just, I mean, that's why I think Tennessee. You know, as much as we like the Pruitt hire, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get everyone back on the same page until he, you know, has a nine and four season or a ten and three season. Uh, but I thought Scott Frost, Nebraska, seems like a great hire. I mean, he's done well at Oregon. He did well at UCF. Uh, not sure what he'll do at Nebraska, but couldn't couldn't have got, gotten any better. So I'll say an A. Yeah, you know, it's. I think I see that the hires gotten some Harbaugh comparisons because of the connection to the school. Uh, I don't think his resume even remotely sniffs what Harbaugh did before he got hired by Michigan. But I do think they're the one similarity is, is if Scott Frost is, can't be the guy to bring Nebraska back, then who's going to be, you know? So, um, so it's a perfect fit in that regard. You know, when I say his resume doesn't compare hard about, doesn't mean I don't think he can win. I still think the Big Ten West is there for the taking in some capacity. I mean, Wisconsin's going to be there. You know, I do think Minnesota will eventually at least be consistent under P.J. Fleck, but there's still an opportunity there. Uh, and I think Nebraska is kind of that one program that can kind of be the one to challenge Wisconsin and give the Big Ten that, I guess we'd call it a sixth elite team. I guess we could probably say Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, probably all considered elite programs right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think he's the one that I think Nebraska is the one program that could really become that sixth. Uh, and I think he's their best chance to do it. So, yeah, it's hard not to give them an A, too. I mean, it's just it was a it's a perfect match. The other thing, too, is, you know, he had to leave because. You go undefeated at UCF. You don't even crack the top ten of the playoffs in the playoff <laughs> system. Yeah, there's no, there's literally no more he could do, you know, in that regard. So, um, so I think it made sense for him to jump when he did, and uh, yeah, I mean, he'll be he'll be interesting in the Big Ten West. I think that's a again a perfect fit. For the record, I wasn't saying his resume. I I actually do think his resume kind of compares to Harbaugh when Harbaugh was at Stanford. In that he, oh, yeah. no, no. he produced Marcus Mariota. He was the quarterback right. coach and offensive coordinator for for them. Like he's actually been second in command on a team that made it all the way to the national championship game twice. Uh, and then UCF obviously undefeated. I mean, you know, I would consider that I would liken that a lot to an eleven and two Stanford team. Um so right. anyway, 
Uh, good hire there. Got a couple more. Uh, we can. These ones are maybe not not quite as mm, well. Maybe we can talk about them. But Arizona State, uh, Texas A and M getting Jimbo Fisher. Uh, we'll talk about Jimbo Fisher. But Arizona State and Arkansas. I don't even know who Arkansas hired. I'll, I'll have to look it up. But Arizona State getting Herm Edwards, who I guess he has a point. You know, if you take ten years off coaching, it's not like it's not like you can't. It's not like you're a player and you're, you're like physically incapable of doing it, but he is going to have to be open-minded. Uh, he, I mean, he kind of strikes me as an ego guy, so he'll have to humble himself and realize that it's. I mean, he was on Sports Center yesterday, I believe, still being an analyst. So at some point, he's going to have to get back into coach mode. Uh, probably give that a B minus. I think it was. I think it was. It was. A B plus, A minus in the sense that it made waves and it makes Arizona State more relevant than they were. Uh, but I think it's probably a C in research and thinking what's going to be best for Arizona State. Because I don't know if, I mean, I really just don't imagine Herm Edwards going toe to toe with a Chip Kelly or uh, I don't even know who else, Rich Rodriguez. Even I would, I would think Rich Rodriguez is a better recruiter than Herm Edwards is. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't think I don't remember him as much of a coach so uh I guess I guess we'll see and uh, Arizona State's willing to let him be proven wrong but I felt like they could have gotten more of a savvy coach first coach rather than a guy who makes waves uh Arkansas got the guy Chad Morris from SMU probably a good hire uh I think you know Chad Morris made SMU a lot better and I think Arkansas they might they might want someone who's going to be more uh, uh, quietly successful I don't know because like versus Brett Bielema who's going to make national headlines all the time and uh, eventually became a caricature and I don't, I don't know if recruits noticed that or what um, but eventually it just became too easy to make fun of him whereas Chad Morris is uh, a, a ascending coach not a guy who's already established and uh, you know maybe maybe has an upset or two in him each year uh, what'd you think of those two? Uh, we'll call them the smaller hires because they aren't they aren't necessarily programs that could go out and get a big name. Um, and based on what they got, what'd you grade them? I mean, I think the Herm Edwards hire is one of the most fascinating college football hires in the last five six years. I mean, I I don't know if you can grade it. Um, I do think that he can be a decent recruiter actually because he's really he's a guy who's very passionate about the game of football. Uh, and he he's very big into like preaching values. I think it's one of those things that could resonate with enough families uh, for him to maybe recruit a pretty you know pretty solidly. Um, Arizona State is the kind of school that you can sell too. I mean the weather, uh, the women. Let's just be honest. Like it's there's there are like perks to uh, being a student athlete at Arizona State. So I, I don't know, man. I mean I think it's going to be really interesting i mean it's he didn't he wasn't a bad nfl coach i think his tenure in kansas city was kind of sucked but he was a pretty i mean i think the he made the playoffs with the jets multiple times again we're going back like 15 years but um yeah i just i don't know i mean this is going to be really you know i think there are a lot of really quirky things about it like keeping the same coordinators like there's just that that type of stuff is kind of odd to me uh granted billy napier Pretty good offensive coordinator. I think he's been mentioned for some was mentioned for some of the lower level head coaching uh, openings that have come up. So um, 
you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I think I'd almost say incomplete. I don't even really mean that negatively. I just, I have no clue what's going to happen there. Uh, yeah, it could be, that's true. <laughs> you know, and again, sort of like with Chip Kelly, I think there's room in the Pac-12 for another team to kind of step up to the forefront. You got SC, or right now, what is it? SC, Stanford, and Washington probably are kind of the class of the conference. Um, there's room for another program in there. Even oh, Utah. UCLA. Yeah. yeah. Colorado. Utah, they've all been, they've all had their moments. That's what I mean. Arizona State is capable of overtaking those types of programs on a consistent basis. So um, I just, yeah, who knows if he's going to be the guy to do it. I'm I'm really interested to see how that turns out. So um, also interested to see how patient they are with a guy who's already 63 years old. Right, you know, um, right. That'll be, that'll be kind of an interesting storyline behind it. So uh, the Chad Morris Arkansas hire I think is another sort of wild card hire. I think that one actually could end up being a really great hire too. Um, either of these guys that, because Chad Morris was a hot name a couple off seasons ago as a head coach, and then kind of quietly ended up at SMU, and what do you know, like completely turned the program around. So um, that's you know offensive guy too. Uh, I, I think Arkansas pretty smart. Uh, I think it was a good hire for them. So I'm probably like B plus on that one. Um, I, I like you. I'm not quite as familiar with Morris as some of the other guys, but familiar was... enough to know that. Yeah, he was you know. a Texas high school coach for a long time, which I think helped him a lot at SMU. It might be Arkansas's calling card is that uh, you know you're in the you can compete with these SECs. I mean, you know, A and M's there obviously, but SEC hasn't fully tapped into the Texas market yet. So maybe, and then obviously his work at Clemson, um, offensive coordinator until they went to the championship two years in a row. Um, and then SMU, uh, what were they before he came in? They were, they were one and eleven, and then they went two and ten in his first year, five and seven, and then seven and five this year. So definitely can turn a program around. I don't know. I just don't know about that next level where he has to face, you know, A and M, Alabama, LSU, and back to back to back weeks. But I, then again, I don't know if Arkansas will ever be. I don't know who would be able to do that for Arkansas. So true. I mean, at I least in, at least until Saban's reign kind of ends. Uh, anyway, another hire in the SEC West, Texas A&M, getting Jimbo Fisher. I think that's an A. I mean, you took advantage of someone who who wasn't exactly thrilled. You know, it's not Jimbo Fisher. I don't think was planning on leaving Florida State, but it certainly started to creep into his mind as that season wore on and. Fans were like, do this, do that, this sucks, blah, blah, you know how fans can be. And then I think they they kind of snuck in and said, hey, you know, we've got a lot of money. We've got a fan base that's looking for a fresh start. It's uh, ready to, to win a title. We have a new stadium, new facilities. I mean, they had the biggest athletic department budget in the country the past couple of years trying to pay off that stadium. And so so I, th- I thought it was a very savvy move uh, to get Jimbo Fisher in the way that they did. I mean... I think they tried to do the same thing with Bo. Bo stayed. Um, so you can see how hard it can be to get someone to leave a program where they're so highly regarded. Um, but A&M pulled it off. I, I'd say, I say, A, I don't, I mean, at least from a football coaching perspective, I don't see anything wrong with Jimbo Fisher ethically. Eh, but seems like someone that could actually get them to be at that Alabama LSU level every year. 
I mean, $75 million of guaranteed money. I mean, he's easily the hire of the offseason that has the most pressure on him outside of, I mean, maybe Frost. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but even he'll know, get a couple years. Right. Um, I mean, they all have, I mean, they all got a ton of pressure on them, obviously. Uh, it's, you know, not saying that necessarily, you know, like you talk about Mullen and that, you know, like he's probably, he's got a ton of pressure too, but I mean, holy crap. Did you see the press conference when they introduced Jimbo Fisher? They said we're looking for national championships now. Well, just, it was in this like immaculate, like hall. Oh yeah. With 300 seats. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like just this massive, you see, he got off the plane and they had like the, the, band was waiting for him and played this like i don't know if it was the fight song or what like just um crazy over the top you know stuff which you know goes to show you how the desperation level with some of these yeah you look at a&m they haven't done jack and uh you know a long time so it's kind of one of those hires I, I guess i think it's a good i think it's a good hire i mean he's one of only what four or five sitting head coaches to have a national championship on his resume yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, Florida State's season went by the wayside because DeAndre Francois got hurt. I know, but the I fans mean, didn't quite see it that way. No, oh, yeah. well, of course not. Of course not. I mean, you go to a true freshman, you know, as your backup, uh, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a whole different story. But um, I just, for some reason, I, did, I don't know. I think it's a good hire. For some reason, I just don't see this one working out in the long run. I don't know why. It's just a hunch I had. I just feel um, like A&M's, it, it just, it's, it, they just seem like they're ready to fall apart. There, it seems like NCAA has got to be looking at this. Like, all of a sudden, like, the boosters are just going nutso, you know, spending $400 million on a stadium, spending $75 million on a coach. Yeah, it's just... Right. It almost seems I mean. like uh, I'm trying to think who's the other school that has done that in the past where it's just like all of a sudden out of nowhere they decided they were going to dominate. They wanted to be the best football program at, at any cost. I mean, any any program that takes it at any cost mentality uh, has a very walks a very thin line between succeeding and falling completely into shambles. Um, I mean, in, in a, to a lesser extent, Nebraska and Tennessee uh, were kind of in that boat. And so, anyway, last one that we know of, uh, Florida State getting Willie Taggart. Uh, poor Oregon. They thought they had a guy that, you know, was as high energy and young and enthusiastic as they needed uh, to, to get recruits. He was recruiting really well, had a top 15, top 10 class lined up. And then he goes back down to Florida, where he's from, uh, and becomes, becomes the coach there. Uh, I... I think I'm at a B plus. I I mean I'm I'm aware that you know Willie Taggart is really highly regarded among coaches and he obviously can recruit well. Uh, he's Harbaugh was Harbaugh was his best man at his wedding and and so I always joke that he's probably the guy that Michigan would go after if Harbaugh left for the NFL. Uh, seems seems like a good hire. I don't I don't know if he's totally proven it enough. I guess Jimbo Fisher hadn't either, and he worked out well. But it seemed like Florida State didn't want to be dramatic and go after a big name when they probably could go after a big name based on their recruiting lately. Uh, so I, I'd give it a I'd give it a B plus. Yeah, I'm at about the same. Uh, Taggart is an elite recruiter, though. So I guess what you'll what we'll find out because I, I have almost no doubt he's going to continue like 
to recruit at the same level that Fisher was at Florida State. We'll find out how good of a coach he is because he's going to be playing a good hand, like I say, with a, with a bunch of elite prospects on his roster. He's just that good of a recruiter. He's already solidified most of the guys in their class this quickly, which is pretty amazing in my opinion. Um, you know, it'll be a real test of just, you know, he's a guy that, like I said, we'll just find out how good of an actual coach he is because, um, you know, this year at Oregon was, it was okay. I didn't really think he did a, anything super special. Um, you know, lost to the pretty much like lost to the good teams. On well, they did schedule. lose their starting quarterback. Of course. Right. And yeah. they did start to catch fire near the end of the year too. I know they had a couple, just they demolished a few teams at the end, but yeah, I mean, he's going to recruit at a high level though. Well, they I mean, just they no got four more that. wins so. than they did the season before with Helfrich. So and and that's kind of we'll that that's where I think Taggart's best strength is, is that he he is able to turn like he turned Western Kentucky. They went zero and twelve, uh, the season before, and then the first year two and ten, next year seven and five, and then seven and five, which is you know probably hit his ceiling, and then he went to what USF. I think they were winless the season before too, and turned them into two and ten. Uh, let's take a look here. Um, but you know, like he is a turnaround guy and I'm curious if he's in his home state, I don't know how it all works, but he's young. He's enthusiastic. He's someone that I think players will really take to, uh, could really recruit well in his home state and who knows, maybe they don't suffer a drop off at all because their team talent in the 24, 17 talent composite. I mean, they're still, they've got enough recruiting to still be in the top five every single season with that. So for once, he actually has the parts already. He just needs to go out and be the schematics guy. Agreed. Anyway, I think that was, that was all of them, right? Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. Uh, so we got some news. Oh, boy, that took a long time. So we may we may try to trim yeah, that up. <laughs> um, but anyway, talking Ole Miss, talking uh, Shea Patterson, Van Jefferson, uh, maybe a couple other players involved. Uh, of course, 24-7 in, has been all over this story. Check it out at... Uh, 247sports.com, the michiganinsider.com uh, could be could be a big a big thing for uh, Michigan and Steve. I just wanted to get your overall thoughts. I haven't, I haven't necessarily seen what, what you think of this, but Shea Patterson, you look at his advanced numbers, he can complete the deep ball. He's way better under pressure than most quarterbacks are. He was the number four overall recruit in the 2016 class, uh, number one quarterback. He's a guy that's you know, I, I know the national media is kind of trying to make it sound like Harbaugh is not confident in his quarterbacks or or is can't develop his own guys. But this is a this is a guy. I feel like 122 out of 130 teams would take him in a heartbeat, especially immediately eligible for two years. Uh, it doesn't seem like there should be that much debate about this. Um, I, I guess. Do you have any? Any reservations about recruiting him? It seems like a no-brainer and uh, about what it all entails. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty easy. If you're not in favor of this move as, as, as it pertains to Michigan and you're a moron um, or you're just looking to find another way to try to criticize Harbaugh, um, the guy's getting paid however much money he's getting paid a year among the highest-paid coaches in the game, and he is the one thing he's always like looking under every rock to try to get to make this team into the best team that he can. This is another example of that. He's on a plane in Oxford, probably pretty much on the first day he probably could have been legally do the NCA with the NCA rules and stuff, and is trying to 
add some players that would make this roster better from top to bottom. Um, yeah, I, I think it's an absolute 1,000% no-brainer. Uh, and that is means nothing against Brandon Peters or Dylan McCaffrey. Right. It's about you just ask yourself the simple question, does a Michigan team with Shea Patterson on it, are they better than they are without Shea Patterson on it? The answer is unequivocally yeah. 1,000% <laughs> yes. So you ha- so you take that. Um, you know, I, I yeah, I just I think it's I think the whatever criticisms of it as as usual. Uh Harbaugh open to criticism in some areas. There's no doubt about that, but I just feel like the majority of it is always just national mostly national pundits uh reaching in an attempt to like I always talk about, get try to just get a reaction from an mm-hmm. oversensitive Michigan fan base. So um <laughs> That's okay. That's what it is, though. You, yeah. are. I mean, every time they mention Michigan, you, you know, their Dennis Dodd mentions stupidly mentions the Wilton Spate transfer restrictions as if almost every other transfer in college football isn't exactly the same as far as the restrictions go. But then you see his mentions, and it's like 500 Michigan fans freaking out about this guy who doesn't like or the Michael Johnson coaching hire that Oregon actually Oregon actually hired him and Michigan just thought about hiring him yeah no it's and it went away yeah and it went away when he got hired by Oregon nobody mentioned it it wasn't mentioned again when he got hired by Oregon so um Um, Florida State might take him too and (laughs) it's gonna be the same thing right yeah so um so yeah no it's a 1000 it's an absolute no-brainer all three of the names you know Deontay Anderson Van Jefferson uh, and obviously Shea Patterson are all guys that would make Michigan football team better, and it would be within the rules, right? I mean, again, yeah, I think that's the one <laughs> criticism. When I first saw it, I was like, because I think it's pretty well documented that Shea Patterson was going to go where his brother went to go be as an, right. an analyst uh, when he was a recruit. You know, he decommitted from LSU. And next thing you know, he's going where his brother goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so so I think it's well documented. So that was like the one part where I was like, "Oh, okay." But it sounds like this is just a I mean, it sounds like it's just a mutually agreed upon deal. Shea Patterson's going to come and try to be the best right. quarterback in the country. Michigan is going to bring him in and try to have him be the best quarterback in the country. Like I don't I mean, maybe they hire his brother. I mean, they I you know, I don't think that they're doing anything real shady here. Anything that any other school in the country wouldn't do. And we had a caller this week he said that you know Bo would never do this, and then we had Bo's son Shemi call in. He was like, he 100% would have because this yeah, makes the right. team better. You know, right. back then yeah. he was able to recruit. Uh, he would be able to have 115 scholarship players on his team, and so that's that's your you know that's your quarterback. That's you know Peyton Ramsey at Indiana. You know, you'd have like eight quarterbacks on your team that were scholarship players. Well, you don't have that anymore, and I think if right. Malzone and Spade are leaving, which uh, no, no, not a knock on them. I think they both should, you know, because they want to play, and I don't can't blame them at all for that. Uh, you're kind of thin as far as upperclassmen go, and Shea Patterson's got 18 starts under his belt. I mean, why the heck not bring him in? Especially, especially since he's so good. You know, this isn't like a. Uh, I mean, you know, this isn't like a take it a chance on somebody or like they did with Rudock and O'Corn. This is a guy who just patently makes you better. And will be will be one of the top, you know, in the All Big Ten hunt immediately. And Michigan hasn't had an All Big Ten quarterback since Denard. So yeah, yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I guess Spate was probably a third teamer last year, but 
no, no brainer. No brainer. What do you think about the other two, though? The uh, Van Jefferson. I like that because he has two more 450 yard receiving seasons than the rest of the team combined. Uh, we'll right. talk about that in a little bit. And then, uh, what'd you say his name? Deontay. Deontay Anderson. Anderson is safety. safety. Uh, probably. Which is where they need some depth. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they do. So, no brainers all, all across the board. They're picking the right guys to take from that roster. You know, the, obviously, it doesn't sound like Greg Little's interested. He maybe would be a better, like, fit or. I mean, he's a, he's oh, a guy. Oh, he'd be such a you could You plus. could eliminate 122. You'd say all 130 teams would take that guy on their roster. So, um, so you know, that be the would have been the best-case scenario. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this it's one of those things I feel like we have to talk about. But, like, if you have any type of brain, it's, like, common sense that you take a quarterback at that level to add to your roster. Their quarterback mm-hmm. room is going to be excellent, provided this all – follows through like it appears like it strongly appears like it's going to um yeah their quarterback room is going to be awesome for the next forever not for i don't want to say yeah forever, but <laughs> you know what i mean but no i mean what a, what an environment for milton to learn under 100%. and i think i think one two and three at quarterback are all going to be better than they were last season and then they were the season before and, and probably so. the se- I mean, you know i don't think they've had a quarterback stable like this since the turn of the century you know, 2000, right. that, that kind of time frame. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about more of this uh, in a second, but it seems like that could be a position of strength. Speaking of quarterbacks and positions of strength, we're going to run through and grade each position group uh, real quick. We did this at the beginning of the year, ended up taking like an hour and a half to get through every position group. Uh, but I think we can be a little more concise because we have facts. It's less theoretical. Uh, we can we can be a little crisper. Quarterback, and by the way, my grade system, and Steve, you're welcome to have your own grade system. An A, A-minus range means that you were a top 25 unit. Uh, B means that you were top 50. And this isn't necessarily based on stats. This is based on stats and kind of looking and feeling and factoring in certain circumstances. C is 50 to 75. Uh, D is... 75 to 100 and F, I think, if you were outside of the top 100. I've said this before. If you're outside the top 100 in anything at Michigan, something went wrong. And either it's your fault or someone else's fault. So we'll start with quarterbacks. I give them a C-. minus. I talked about this on WTK this morning. uh, But this is the first time they've had three different starting quarterbacks since 1984. And that season they were... Six and six in, in wedged between really dominant teams, and then I think so that's that's notable, and not very many teams that do have three different starting quarterbacks uh, do all that well. Ask Houston how their season went. Ask Maryland how their season went. I think those are the only other two. So kind of rare territory. I do think uh, they they could have obviously done better. I'm I don't I didn't. I don't know why, but it seemed like Wilton Spate regressed, at least in his first three games, partly due to the youth around him, but also just did not seem to have, seemed to have developed some bad habits uh, as far as, you know, he wasn't avoiding sacks in the same way that he used to be. He wasn't, he was kind of putting himself in tougher situations with how he was moving around in the pocket, uh, made some more conservative pass decisions when someone else looked open. Uh, John O'Corn, I think, is your typical third string quarterback. You know, it's not necessarily someone you want 
out there against Ohio State or against Michigan State. Um, and he was what he was. Uh, you know, Brandon Peters, I thought, was a step up. But even he had some uh, some issues in his first couple starts. But I think against Wisconsin, I mean, he had that one turnover. And then I think that was honestly might have been the only mistake he made. Maybe a little bit in the second half. Uh, so I give it a C minus. A couple stats to keep in mind. Every single one of those three quarterbacks was pressured more than 40% of the time. That is obscene. I don't care. Unless you're Baker Mayfield, every every quarterback in the country has pretty ugly numbers when they're under pressure. So if you're under pressure 40% of the time, uh, you are in a world of trouble as a team. And then also, I didn't count the tight ends yet. I'm going to count them uh, probably tonight or or later on uh, in, in, the, in this month. But just the receivers alone, uh, 23 drops in 12 games, also obscene. You know, because if you think about it, if you complete half of those and say they go for 10 yards per thing, suddenly your team has thrown for 100 more yards. Its completion percentage jumps up like 5%. And suddenly it doesn't look so bad. Maybe, maybe you end up winning some games that, that you weren't necessarily going to win. So I, I I feel weird. I think from a pure number standpoint, they were an F or a D minus. I think if you factor in injuries, they move up to a D. You factor in how much pressure they had to go under. Uh, I think you give them a D plus C minus. I give them a C minus. Steve, what do you think? I want to give them a B minus just to troll all the people that used to get upset uh, when I would do the grades early in the season. Yeah. Not, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that, obviously, though. Um, I stand by those B minuses early in the season, at least anyway, with Spate because yeah, uh, they weren't his fault. Michigan's yeah, Michigan's offensive line was awful to begin the year. Their receivers were dropping passes. It was just it was not pretty. So um, yeah, I mean you got a yeah D probably. I mean okay. I just as a unit as a whole, but that's really because O'Corn ended up playing the bulk of the year and and he just. Um, D plus, I don't know, D plus, I guess, because, yeah, because you could see some hope when Peters was in there. I mean, you look at the Wisconsin game completely changed the second he was out. So, mm-hmm. um, well, they were down, but yeah, know. yeah, I know what you mean. But the, the, the there was no hope. The, yeah. Right. It, it was, it was, you know, um, you know, it was, yeah, it was ugly after that. So, um, Nine touchdowns to eight interceptions, by the way. A couple quick numbers. Nine touchdowns, eight interceptions, 54.5 completion rate. And looking at the yards, it's like around 2,000. So those kind of speak for themselves to an extent. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's just, it's a little bit of unluck. um, Because, you know, it's clear by, you know, with the schedule completed that O'Corn was probably far and away the third best quarterback on the roster. Um, and he started, did he start all three? He started three of Michigan's four losses and played considerably in all four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's, you know, that's when your the breaks aren't necessarily going your way in that regard. So, um, you know, a little disappointing that he never really, progressed maybe i guess is you know it's his third season in the program so you know i can see where there's a little bit of disappointment there but they also didn't take him to be the number two guy they they took a chance they took him in to take a chance and to help fill out the roster but i think what really hurt them was that one spate got hurt two peters wasn't 
super ready yet when they put him in against Purdue. And three, the 2015 class did not end up producing a quarterback that was able to contribute. Right. Absolutely. So, um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a little bit of unlock. Um, kind of like what I said, we talked about offensive line last year with like guys like Kalis Magnuson, Braden, you know, those guys had kind of maxed out what they were. And I think that was just obviously the case with O'Corn, you know, even in a big rivalry game where you could tell he, he, he gritted it out. He struggled, but didn't make the big mistake until it really mattered the most and then made, you know, the big mistake. Uh, it was just kind of clear that, you know, he's not a, you know, even a mid-level uh, division one quarterback. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's what Michigan was stuck with in the entirety of three of their four losses. And like I said, ha- about half of the other one. So I, I never ended up writing. I was going to write some like 10 reactions this season or something. One of the biggest things was Michigan's quarterback play. And I, I, I would pretty much put a stone cold lock on this. Michigan's quarterback play will as on a roster will never be worse under Harbaugh than what it was this year. It'll always, it'll be, it's nothing but up from here. Um, and I think that's something that Michigan fans can kind of take some solace in. Again, whether that's Brandon Peters, Shea Patterson, Dylan McCaffrey, Joe Milton, Doyle, whoever, um, this was going to be this is this year was rock bottom as far as quarterback play goes uh, at Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. So um, almost kind of like, well, we got that out of the way. And still, in two rivalry games where they played, well, they played pretty, well, they played well against Ohio State, but. You know, two rivalry games, they were still driving the ball with a chance to win yeah. uh, down the final, in the, within the final couple minutes of the game, despite all of that. Um, you know, there's, there's still there's tangible signs there that this is still on, that Michigan is still way on their way up. And it's that type of stuff, um, you know, kind of like the three losses, you know, by combined five points. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're on the verge. Uh, quarterback play has got to be paramount going forward, but it'll never get worse than it was this year. So, yeah, I I think if it did, something went horrifically wrong with the coaching staff, uh, and I I don't yeah, and and here's how here's how you know it was bad. I think if Wilton Spate was healthy all season, I actually think this team is ten and two, right where we projected them to be. So, right. you know, we talked a little bit about what we expect next year. Yeah, all three strings will be better in better shape and better prepared next season uh running backs and fullbacks had three running backs of 500 yards um uh you know obviously karan hig did ended up being a third team all big 10 uh which is kind of you know not not that surprising but also notable that even on a in a three three person team there was one guy who asserted himself a uh, lot of lot of injuries at running back. I mean, Higdon missed some time or was limited against Wisconsin. That hurt them. Ty Isaac was limited basically the second half of the season. So I I give them probably a a B plus. I do think they were a top just the running backs alone a top thirty unit. Uh, certainly open to disagreement there. Kind of depends on what you value. Because that fumble against Michigan State ended up turning into the game-winning touchdown. You know, uh, they didn't really get the job done against, what was it, Wisconsin. They had 2.3 or 2.4 yards per carry, but there was also some health issues there. I thought they all did really well against Ohio State. Ty Isaac didn't play, but everyone else looked good. Uh, So I I say B+. I I do think they were kind of in that 30, 25 to 40 range. 
Uh, can't can't fault them for this offense's issues. And in fact, I think the running backs really carried them in wins over Minnesota. Not necessarily that that one was close, but Indiana, uh, Maryland, I thought thought was a, a good display for the running backs. Rutgers. So I think you know we talk about quarterbacks are the reason they didn't go ten and two, but running backs are the reason that they were in those games to begin with. So I give them a B plus, and I think. You, if you only lose Isaac, I think the future is really bright there. I think Evans and Higdon might be the best running back tandem heading into next season, with the exception of Taylor and whoever his backup is, and J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. Uh, so I think think B plus with a pretty bright future uh, coming in. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to go with a B plus. And where's you know when are we going to give some credit to Jay Harbaugh? Um, kind of been a guy I think has been unnecessarily criticized uh you know at at tight end you know jake butt wins the Mackey award when you know with jay harbaugh at assistant coach and then you see what the running back unit did this year especially coming down the stretch you know he's i think he's done a very good job as an assistant on the staff you know this whole he's got the he got the job because he's jim's son type stuff um you know i think he's done a, a pretty darn good job uh, in helping develop Higdon and, and Evans. You know, I think Evans was a guy that really, really started to figure it out in the latter half of the season. Um, How much and, of that do you think was them figuring him out? Because we talked about this, that he probably should be used in the passing game more. He probably true should be someone that you do like a little bit more creative schemes for, but you also need him to know exactly. Like, I don't know if he has the decisiveness that Higdon does. Like, I'm going to pick... If we do zone blocking, I'm going to pick this hole versus that hole. I think he needed, you know, a lot of people in motion and to to kind of get him outside and get him behind the line of scrimmage. Because there were some games, and sorry to cut you off, but there were some games where he had more yards after contact than he had rushing yards. And that right. was a sign where he was just getting hit in the back because, you know, maybe he he was trying to, trying to create, uh, you know, the home run run when he could have gotten singles and doubles. But... I don't know. How much do you think play calling played into his, his late season surge? I mean, it helped. I mean, yeah, like we, like you said, how long it was almost weekly for the first four or five weeks that we were saying, like, I don't have no clue why they're not getting him involved in the passing game. Um, You get him. They finally, they remember they put him out on the edge against Michigan state threw him like a bubble screen. He got 15 yards easily. Um, They never threw him the ball again in that game. And then they, uh, mixed it up with Peter when Peters came in against Rutgers, you know, scored that touchdown on that wheel route. You know, he's, I agree in that regard, uh, a guy that they, I think it helps when they're using him in a lot of different ways. Um, and yeah, he is more of a misdirection type guy, but I also kind of, I also still felt like he was a little more assertive the last few games of the year. I mean, a lot of major effort plays against Ohio state. Um, you know, I think of that one, that first down he got down the red zone, you know, or I, he he created about six or seven yards on that play just on his own, um, you know, that that want it type attitude. So um, it's a it's a might maybe more than any other position on the roster is trending up faster going into next year, just because yeah, you got two guys now that you can kind of count on. Um, you know, the pass protection's got to get better there. That's something that was an Achilles heel for the majority of the year. So there's no doubt about that. Um, but strictly just running the ball, they're trending up 
in a big way, in my opinion. I mean, you get, like I said, you got two guys that you can you can count on, um, and you got a young, you know, Kareem Walker showed flashes, uh-huh. and then you got a, and then you got a Maury Samuels, who I'm sure will get more carries next year. Is a guy who's st- kind of still getting acclimated to the big, the big, the big show. It's an uh, adjustment. I mean, not everyone's oh, going to be Chris Evans. Yeah, absolutely. And where he played. Uh, I think there's going to be a little bit more of an adjustment period, you know, coming out of a small state like New Mexico. So, uh-huh. no, I think that position is trending up big time. And, you know, who knows the, the Christian Turner, Hassan Haskins, you know, yeah. the true freshman they'll have coming in. You know, you never – that's a, the other thing is, you know, it is a position where you got to acclimate yourself, but it's also a position where, well, you look at Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. I know it's Wisconsin. I know it doesn't even seem to matter who they throw back there, but – he walked right in and almost rushed for 2,000 yards this year. Yeah. You know, So sometimes you never know. And Haskins, especially as a guy, late bloomer, Michigan loves him on film. I know he's not as highly rated as some people want every Michigan recruit to be. But, <laughs> um, you know, you just sometimes running back is one of those positions where you kind of can find a, a true diamond in the rough uh, that can come in and produce immediately. So, you know, we'll have to see. By the way, the final numbers for Karan Higdon and Chris Evans, they had 17 touchdowns, one combined fumble. Looks like 66 broken tackles on, uh, just spotting these numbers here, about 175 carries. So about one in every three carries, maybe even more frequently, they were breaking a tackle. Uh, Evans had 465 yards after contact. Higdon had 543 uh Evans had 658 yards, Higdon 929, 6.3 yards per carry and 5.2. So even if Samuels does need more time and Haskins and Turner need more time, I think they've got two guys. I mean, you know, you never, you don't want to make ridiculous predictions, but they both could run for a thousand yards next year. And I don't think anyone would be surprised. Uh, Question for you though. I think we saw really promising things from Ben Mason at fullback, uh, but they lose Khalid Hill and Henry Poggi. Do you see a who do you think is the second fullback that ends up emerging? That's a that's to me that's a kind of an important question. Yeah, I, I don't know right now. Um, maybe they maybe one of the, you know they took a few preferred walk-ons in the sixteen class that were sort of like a running back linebacker type guy, like a Tyler Plocky. Um, you know, I, I, but I don't I don't know. I really don't. I think that's and I, again I. Given the context of the Michigan offense, I think it's a really important question because it's a it's the most it might be the most physical position on the field for it with, with the way that they like to use that position. Mm-hmm. So you know, and while Ben Mason was born to play it, that doesn't mean that they're going to they're going to want him out there for 40, 45 snaps a game. You know, there's going to have to be somebody else to step up. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. Um, but Mason. Without a doubt, in my opinion, you know, I think Khalid Hill had a decent year this year. Um, I think Poji improved quite a bit from last year, but Mason will be the best fullback that Michigan's had under Harbaugh, no doubt. Uh, he's just matter of fact. I mean, Zach, you probably know. I mean, he on, at least on the Pro Football Focus. Again, not saying that you know people on there are bored already. Uh, they're not gospel, but I think they're from what I've been able to gather. They're more often than not are at least a relatively accurate picture. Uh, Mason graded out higher than both Poji and Hill in the games that he made appearances in at fullback. So, um, again, very limited snap count, but still, 
Um, yeah. He's going to be perfect there. And uh, so, yeah. So the position will be better next year, in my opinion, just because I think Mason is a guy that will take a big step forward. But I also, yeah, who's that second guy going to be? Because they're going to have to have at least another, you know, at least another guy in there in some capacity. So mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know who they're gonna pick. I mean, obviously Mason was not didn't walk in as a fullback, and they just put him there, and it worked I out. I think they were gonna. Nah, yeah. Oh yeah, were, yeah. But they were gonna put him there. But technically, technically speaking, right. yeah. Right. Um. So let's let's talk receivers and tight ends. We'll uh, start with the receivers, and I'm looking at PFF's grades. Only two guys graded positively as wide receivers this season. Uh, I think you can guess who they are. For Michigan, uh, this includes tight ends, you said? Nope. Just the receivers? Yep. Grant Perry, and, I mean, I don't think it's Donovan, because I know there were a couple weeks that he didn't grade out too well. Um, McDoom? Mm. Tariq Black and Nate Shanley. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I, forgot about <laughs> I mean, that's so that's kind of what it was. Is like, I mean, those two guys were injured much of the season. I mean, this isn't necessarily meant to be a a a burn fest but the receivers really really did not produce this season I mentioned the stat earlier 23 drops Uh, I don't know how many receptions they had but the fullbacks had more rushing touchdowns than the wide receivers had receiving touchdowns and I know that people like to make jokes that that's like the Harbaugh way or the Harbaugh difference or whatever but I mean that's that's a real indictment toward the receivers the players yeah, they had four, no, three, three receiving touchdowns, the wide receivers. And when you compare that to the 23 drops, uh, I mean, you're talking some some next level, uh, uh, I guess, mistakes. You know, just stuff that really, I mean, if Michigan does that again, I don't know if you can actually hold a Big Ten title standard. You know, and I... I, I, I Think we'll we'll talk about this. I mean, they return everybody that contributed. You know, they they lost Mo Ways and Drake Harris, but to be honest, I don't think either of them will be seen as a big loss in this depth chart and the way things are trending. And but and and you know, Tariq Black will be healthy. Uh, you assume Nate Shanley will be healthy longer. Uh, Donovan will come in with more experience. Grant Perry will be ready to go. You know, maybe Van Jefferson is your guy too. So I, I this is another one of the arrow. This probably more than any position group is pointing straight up for the future. But man, this is a. I'd give them probably the lowest grade on the offense. You know, D D minus. Uh, I I feel weird failing because obviously, like they put in an effort and produced at times. Um, but I they they are well into the D's for me. Uh, what do you think, Steve? Uh, I'm somewhere in the same neighborhood. You know, I I wonder what Donovan's numbers would have been if, if the quarterback could have hit him consistently. Um, I mean, we're talking probably a good four or five touchdowns that were missed on, on poor throws to him where he had beat a defensive back deep. Even with that in mind, though, yeah. Um, you know, if we go back to the preseason, I feel like I kind of warned you guys on on that a little bit. Oh, I was I wrong. I, mean, I was wrong. Yeah, I'll admit that. One. I, Isaiah was like over the moon about how the receivers were going to produce this year, and it's like history has never been kind to you know, especially like first year receivers, uh, you know, producing at a high level. 
Uh, there's just a big learning curve there. And then you lose Tariq Black, who really could have been the exception to that rule. I mean, he would have been their best receiver this year, bar none. He was their he number to... four receiver, and he only played right. in three With... games. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's not good. <laughs> and uh, So, yeah, I mean, I just – I was – I thought there was a lot – I mean, it was one of – I think if I remember what I said right, I think I said there's a ton of potential there, but it's just – you're asking a lot for them to realize it, but not only that, and this, that's just talking mostly about the freshmen, but you know, I mean, there's just, we can call a spade a spade and, you know, Crawford, McDoom, both pretty disappointing in my opinion for soft in their sophomore seasons. I think Crawford played a little bit better near the end of the year, uh, made a, one of the better catches of the year uh, against Penn state and then made an, you know, it was a, he made a nice play against Ohio State, but I think the play call benefited anybody as much as anything on that play. I mean, that was mm-hmm. a perfectly called play. Um, he did a lot with it. McDoom made an awesome catch in the Ohio State game too. So, um, you know, again, you just you saw some flashes, but uh, you know, I kind of wondered what happened to Grant Perry a little bit. Um, he got really, a little bit of a case of the drops. Uh, looking at right, his PFF game by game numbers, he got some drops, and I think that took down his targets too. Right, which is very, you know, uncharacteristic of him, mm-hmm. like, you know, based on history. I mean, he was really, he walked in as a freshman and was had some pretty reliable hands, made some pretty nice grabs. So, yeah. um, you know, so again, I think he's a, I think he's a solid rebound candidate. Yeah, I, year. I think the um, whole, the whole unit probably is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everybody, I, well, I who, think Don- yeah. Right. Donovan's going to take off. You can see it. He was a guy who tangibly you could see was getting better as the season went on. Mm-hmm. Um, the athletic tools are there. Like we talked about before, you know, when he was at Cass, it was basically just, you know, reminded me of uh, when I was in high school. My high school played Charles Rogers oh. in the first round of the of the playoffs against a Saginaw team, which, by the way, had the Saginaw team had four NFL players. <laughs> on their high school wow. roster, Roy Manning, Roy Manning, Lamar Woodley, Charles Rogers, and then Jerome Jackson, who ended up going to Michigan too. Um, but their quarterback would just drop back and just throw the ball as far as he could. Yeah, and Rogers would just run underneath it. Well, for Donovan, his high school career was a lot the same. You know, as far as like it's, it'd be it'd be hard to want to work on routes all the time when you're just dominating people off of pure talent. So it was going to be a little bit longer of a path for him to become more of a refined receiver just because, but once he gets it figured out, you know, and like I said, you could really start to see it, you know, this year, I I think, you know, I think he's going to, I think there's the potential, especially with what we perceive as a big upgrade at quarterback next year. I mean, he has the potential to explode, to have a really big sophomore campaign, maybe no other player on the roster that gained as much from the experience they had this year as what he did, in my opinion. So, um, but yeah, I, I, there, it's obvious for a rebound unit next year, yeah. a healthy Tariq black. I think Nico Collins looked all right when he, in his limited snaps too. And then Oliver Martin was the guy that for a lot of fall camp was talked about as maybe had one of the better fall camps of the four true freshmen, mm-hmm. but I think he had minor injuries. They yeah. just played it safely. Yeah. Just you know, so, kept it redshirted. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you expect him to do something next year and then, yeah, Nate Shanley, uh, you know the coaches like Nate Shanley because they love to throw him in there on running downs, mm-hmm. and he's not afraid to block, not afraid to do the, you know, I don't want to get too, 
you know, about the <laughs> the grit the, and the, the, yeah. the white. I just say it's a white intangible, like the yeah. yeah first guy, first guy. He has a a key to the locker room. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, or he's the first guy at the gym, last guy to leave type. You know, or the lunch pail stuff. But um, but he does though. He plays the he plays in the heavy sets at receiver. Uh, he's he showed an ability to block. And when they thrown the ball, he showed reliable hands too. So, you know, there's always going to be a spot for that too. So yeah, I think it's easy choice for a rebound unit next year. No doubt. By the way, I looked up Charles Rogers stats. He did not play his freshman year. So he, he was fully on to the whole getting clinical and everything or getting it work and done in practice, but his sophomore year, no pressure to Mr. Peoples Jones, but he had 67 receptions, for 1470 yeah. yards and 14 touchdowns. One of the best. Yeah. Probably the best player I've ever seen play live. Wow. Uh, yeah, in high, I if mean, Donovan provided high, half of that. This team looks completely different next year. Absolutely. And uh I couldn't I mean, I I have those are some vivid memories when I watched him in high school and I just I can't even tell you like the, the safeties were playing literally 35 yards deep and yeah they would just, their quarterback would just take like a seven step drop and just, it's, he would, he'd just throw the ball as far as he possibly could. And he was either underneath it and past the safeties who were already playing 35 yards deep, or he would jump over him and catch it and run it in. I mean, I think he had five touchdowns in that game alone. Um, you know, just the guy was just made differently, but Donovan, one of the best pure athletes, maybe the best pure athlete that I've covered recruiting wise though. I mean, so he's got that ceiling, you know, so it, it, you know, like I said, I think of any player on the roster, he's benefited more from the extensive experience he got this season. Let's talk tight ends. By the way, we're only going to do offense today because of time constraints, but uh, we'll talk (laughs) tight ends Uh, based on PFF. Sean McCune was the only one who really stood out. And I guess grading this kind of depends on what, what your expectations were because, you know, from a, from a raw perspective, I mean, Zach Gentry and Sean McEwen actually kind of stepped up their game toward the end of the season. They were great in the passing game. I know Zach Gentry still, it might be a, another off season away from being a true blocking threat. Um, but they both were very reliable They're, They were obviously who Peters liked passing to the most and was mo- most comfortable finding in the passing game. And then Tyrone Wheatley Jr. and Ian Bunting, uh, Nick Eubanks was hurt, so he can't, uh, won't fault him. Uh, but it just seemed like, seemed like it was like reverse. Like the two guys who you were like, oh, they might look, they might end up having good seasons, but only if they can surpass these two guys. It seemed like the two, because like when we did the twenty-five most important players list, you know, the two that we wrote down as tight ends in that list were the opposite of the two that were really good. Not that, I mean, you've been calling Sean McEwen for months and years, and Zach Gentry, I think, showed a lot in the spring game and all that, but uh, it's just, I, 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 it's almost a mixed bag, so I'd probably give them like a, a B-, minus, maybe a C plus, just because it was, it was like halfway to a really strong unit, and, but, but there was also just some missing pieces, and also, the run blocking, I don't think it ever really came together. McCune did a nice job with run blocking, but the other, the rest of the gang seemed like they were right in that offensive line group as far as, you know, missing assignments or completely whiffing on a guy and it, 
ended up resulting in like a four yard loss. Um, so I don't know. I, I give him a B minus C plus. I'll I'll say B mm, I'll say B minus to be kind. But but what do you think, Steve? Yeah, um, C plus. You know, I, th- I think again, this is kind of the theme here. You can see, you can see it in flashes. Um, yeah, McCune. Yeah, I mean that's a guy the staff has loved since the day he walked on campus. So probably, I mean, my worst take of, of the of our previews was, you know, just gushing over what Wheatley Jr. was going to do this year. Um, he did get banged up, right? He wasn't fully healthy for probably about half a season. So that played a part in it. Um, but even when he was in, maybe not as consistent, uh, you know, both blocking and receiving, you know, granted, I don't know how many targets he had, not many, I would assume. Um, but, you know, and then, but you could see the, Again, it's another one of those positions you can see the flashes, and these are all guys who are really getting their first taste of, you know, legit football. But whether it's McCune or Zach Gentry, who again I think is, man, I mean, there's just so much potential there, especially in the receiving end of the game. Um, just such a mismatch for for teams, and uh, really, again, his first year of extensive action. And you could almost argue that by the end of the year, he was the most reliable receiving target on the team. Um, Certainly you know, downfield he was. Right. You know, McCune had a little bit of case of the drops, I think, in some certain instances. Um, but was probably the best all-around tight end on the roster. I don't think anybody would debate that. So, um, and again, you are, you know, I, I love him. He's, he was a lot of a really great guy. But, uh, you know, Bunting was a little bit of a letdown, I think, especially because, man, Bunting looked so good in the Orange Bowl last year. Right. Uh, after Butt got hurt, I mean, it was like, okay, this is the Ian Bunting that we've been waiting to see because, you know, the, he, the dude has the biggest hands. He's got to have the biggest hands on the team. I'd be shocked if he didn't. I mean, he's he's got, like, catcher's mitts for hands. <laughs> um, but well, by the end of the year, I mean, I think against Ohio, against – Wisconsin or one of the last few games that he, I mean, he only was in for like two snaps. So um, just was just passed over. So, yeah. you know, you, you kind of had that sit where your seniority, you know, didn't really, uh, you know, progress as much as you may have wanted to. So. He played one snap against Ohio State. Okay. That and was eight one, that snaps was against Wisconsin. Okay. Maybe it was the Ohio. I, for some reason, I thought he was in a little bit more against Ohio State, but I knew one of those last games he only played like a snap. So, um, wow. He only played 20, you know, he only played 30 total snaps in Michigan's four losses. So yeah. they were trying to work so, him in in some of the other games and they just couldn't trust him in the big games. Yeah. A good, I mean, again, like you have to just, you know, not speculate, but, you know, as a guy, may look elsewhere for a fifth year. I mean, you got, Maybe three more tight ends coming in this year, true freshmen, mm-hmm. and then you got quite a, a, a solid nucleus with McCune and Gentry and, and Wheatley Jr. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting there. But yeah, C plus again, another spot though. Again, you just you see it, but just not consistent enough. Mm-hmm. Speaking of offensive line, uh, I I saw a lot of potential. I thought Michael and Wayne who looked really good at times. I mean, we knew Mason Cole was going to be good. Uh, I I thought I thought Bredesen did pretty well for the most part. I I think, uh, but the problem with the offensive line is like everyone had at least two or three plays a game where they just miss the boat in a way you just can't miss the boat. You know, you can't miss your assignments that badly, and 
you know, it just it was just a generally negative portion of the unit. I mentioned the quarterbacks were under pressure and uh, more than forty percent of their snaps. Uh, you know, the 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 rate of quarterback hurries and sacks and uh, hits allowed. I mean, Michigan was like right up there with the worst in the Big Ten. Uh, I think sacks allowed, they were outside the top 100. I mentioned you can't be outside the top 100 and not call it a failure to an extent. Uh, you know, the run game, the run blocking, I did a story on that and how shifting to a more power run identity team helped them. It certainly helped them to against some of the worst opponents, but I think it also, I mean, against Ohio State, I think they had 4.6 sack adjusted yards per carry, which was kind of made me wonder why they didn't run the ball more. Uh, against Ohio State, but and then Wisconsin uh, seemed like that first half they were really inspired, and then that second half things just kind of mm, fell apart with the offensive line. I I don't know exactly how that all translates into a letter grade. Uh, I think I will say D plus. I don't think it was the worst worst part of the team. I feel like that's like the most overused cliche. I think every time a team loses, the Michigan, uh, not just Michigan fans, fans at large blame it on the offensive line. And sometimes it's warranted, sometimes it's not. But, you know, linemen are going to make mistakes. I think they've made far too many mistakes. Uh, I can't fail them, though. I mean, there were signs. I say D+. Plus. As for next year, uh, a lot is hinging on Grant Newsom, Chuck Filiaga, and Andrew Stuber because I don't think people want to see Juwan bushel Beatty necessarily as the as the winner of that group at right tackle and left tackle you're going to have to replace second team all big 10 one of the better pro football focused players at that position uh so you're gonna have to replace a lot there but the interior looks good ruiz bredesen uh and wainu they all i think they're all trending up i mean the arrow's pointing up for them uh steve what do you think about the tackles and what you what grade did you give them are we just doing tackles Nah, the whole line. Okay. Uh, yeah, D+. plus. I agree with you fully, though. The Ohio State game, I thought Michigan's offensive line really showed up. Um, well, I think Ohio State had three sacks in that game. I think two of them were 100% on John O'Korn for hanging on to the ball way too long. Um, and they ran the ball effectively against a high-quality front seven for the first time that I could remember. Uh, I kind of s- sighed a little bit with the people that wondered why Michigan – Sort of went away from the run a little bit. Late they passed in that game. more. They had more pass plays than run plays in that game, which makes no yeah. sense given who you had at quarterback and who you had at running back. I agree. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I, I think the offensive line should get their due uh, for what really. I think I'd say this: the offensive line played for the first time that I can remember against a legit opponent. That I think Michigan's offensive line played good enough for them to win. Other in other times, even Ohio State in last year, uh, I think the offensive line was pretty inconsistent in that game. I think Spate played a, you know, I know he had the fumble, but uh, you know, the offense was carried by other players. You know, the receivers, that type of stuff. Anyway, yeah, let's wrap it up. Do a oh yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, uh, I agree with you. The tackles are still obviously a huge question mark. The interior of the line looks set for the future, though. I think Ruiz will be a step up from Kugler at center next year. Mm-hmm. And then Michael Onwenu 
really, I think, will emerge as one of the best linemen in the Big Ten next year for sure. Mm-hmm. And then Ben Bredesen still is a guy um, whose best football is ahead of him, in my yes. opinion. So yeah. it really just comes down to, well, it comes down to the tackle spots. So I agree. I've always been a big Andrew Stuber guy. Uh, we'll see if Filiaga is a tackle. I feel like most of the fall camp he was practicing at guard, but he's hmm, probably a guy that okay. can play either one. So, no, he's a guy I think could play just like Stuber, though. Like, Stuber's kind of a Ben Bredesen type. You know, could have really could have played anywhere on the line, really. Mm-hmm. Um, good indication of that is when, after he signed, they were having him practice snapping the ball uh, just for the possibility that he could practice at center. I mean, that's what they did with Ben. So, um, but anyway... Okay. Yeah. Future's bright in the interior. We'll see on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll obviously stay tuned with the Michigan Insider for updates on potential grad transfers, new recruits, and obviously any spring camp, fall camp confidentials will will kind of show what who's trending up in that position. And obviously, uh, Grant Newsome certainly don't want to risk anything, but he, he wants to play next year. It's just a matter of if he can be a starter or what he was or anything of that nature. Uh, it's a big if. Let's run through some lightning round awards. I'll I'll let you go first. But MVP, most improved, freshman of the year, under uh, biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, breakout candidate for next year. Uh, that was six of them. Uh, you got them all. Yeah, just it's lightning it. All right. MVP on the offense. I will say Karan Higdon. Yeah, I'll go with Higdon too. Most improved, I will say, Michael and Wainu. Sean McEwen. Okay. Freshman of the year, uh, probably Donovan. I mean, he still had 350 all-purpose yards, a couple touchdowns. Don't think anyone. Who else? Did any other freshman play other than Ruiz? Yeah, I'd say Donovan. Again, quarterback hits him. He's got four or five touchdown catches. Right. So, and we're talking, and we're talking about him in a completely different light. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's him for sure. Underrated player, I think it was Sean McEwen. I say Gen- I'll say I'll stick at tight end. I'll say Gentry. Okay. Overrated, I think Cole Crawford. Boy, I'm gonna get. I Mason Cole had a good year, but I don't think he had a great year. Ooh. <laughs> okay, but well, you're right though. If he was coming in with all American hype, he did not live up to that. That's uh, yeah, that's sort of what I was. Best offensive quote on the team, probably Patrick Kugler because he would say funny stuff. He carries kind of the Magnuson Kalis tradition of being the goofball in the press room. Uh, trying to think if anyone else really stood out. I thought Bredesen and McEwen gave very honest, earnest quotes, and I, I give credit about, to the what quarter. About ben, what about Ben Mason? He was. He, he did not live. He was not the treat that Harbaugh promised. Oh no! Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. He he seemed like he wanted to murder us, which I guess is like a treat to Harbaugh. But yeah, um, right. But it was. It, it's just he. It was like one word answers. It, it, we all told SIDs like we don't need him every time. Then um, yeah. Uh, uh, biggest surprise overall in the offense, I would say, uh, the the lack of growth or eh, I won't say growth that's kind of mean uh, I'll say the lack of production from the receivers um biggest surprise that's a negative sorry we're doing yeah. one negative one um, positive boy I hate to be like yeah it is a negative I'd say the biggest surprise was just how underwhelming 
the Nolan Ulysio choice ended up being at right tackle. Um, you know, he won that battle. It was a three-way battle at camp, so you would have thought he would have played it. Beat a, out two guys, a, yeah. Yeah, would have played at a solid level, but, I mean, it was evident very early that he was struggling mightily. So That's a good one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think a runner-up could be that John O'Corn just, it seemed like he had something when he was at Purdue and then just did not see it again at all. Um, yep. Biggest surprise as a positive, I think it was that the, I, I, you kind of mentioned it, you know, power run game started working and they actually did fairly well against Ohio State. Uh, that was that was the biggest surprise in a, in a positive light. What about you? Yeah, I'd say the offensive line's performance, you know, the offensive line's performance as a whole uh, against Ohio State, I think was a very pleasant surprise. And I think, you know, again, they had to replace one starter for sure. We'll see about right tackle, but um, I think it bodes well for the future. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. again, I think there was some good, some good signs to come out of that game up front. Other surprise, I thought the deep ball when Spate was there with Eubanks, you know, Crawford, Black. Uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else. I mean, that was pretty, that was a pretty good system until the injury happened. So that would be my other positive surprise. And then breakout candidate for next season. I know we kind of like broke one each down in each position group, but who do you think really erupts onto the scene next year? Um, Gosh, I almost want to say Wheatley Jr. again for the second straight year. I just, <laughs> no, but I, you know, like I said, he wasn't healthy the, for bulk of the year. I'm gonna, I, yeah, I'm gonna go with him. I still think he's got some, some big time football left. It, the the tools are just, they're still there. The tools haven't gone away. He's basically a tackle, in a tight end's body, but can be a dangerous player in the receiving part end too. Again, another guy against Ohio State. It'd been interesting to see what he'd have done with that ball if O'Corn could have hit him on that third down. Because I think you would have seen that he's got wheels for a guy his size and maybe could have done something with that ball, but it was overthrown, you know? So um, that's what I mean is like, I think with better quarterback play next year, I think you're going to see, you know, other guys emerge in the passing game. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with him. I almost want to say Oliver Martin, but I'm going to stick with, Okay. Junior, I I'm going to, I said this guy, I think at the beginning of the year too, I think Chris Evans, I think he can do too much. I think it, the end of his season really opened things up for him. I'd say a receiver because it seems like they all are breakout candidates. I just don't know which one uh, the next quarterback is going to like throwing to the most and, and which one is going to create separation. That might be a problem. A storyline to watch with the receivers is that, at some point, you need two of them to be a lot better than the other two, or else none of them are necessarily producing the way that you want them to. Uh, but I'm going to say Chris Evans. I think, I think you know, with Notre Dame early on, I don't think they're going to try to like hide him. You know, I don't think they're going to try to keep that playbook that closed. I think they're just going to say, "Here's what we have. Come and beat us." Uh, and so I think, I think Chris Evans ends up having a, a fantastic season. Anyway. Uh, We'll talk defense and special teams uh, next week, along with a lot more basketball and probably just looking at the calendar, probably some recruiting stuff too. Uh, But that's going to do it for today because we have some time constraints. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Check out all of our stories at 247sports.com slash Michigan at themichiganinsider.com. It's all one place. Uh, It should be your one-stop shop for everything Michigan recruiting, football, basketball, uh, even hockey. Michigan plays Michigan State tonight, so it should be fun. Uh, check it out. Check out our site uh, for Steve Lorenz on the other side of this phone call. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the podcast. Hope you had fun. 
Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.